Daniel chapter number four. We are continuing where we started last week. Of course, we are in our series on Daniel, Thriving in Babylon. We're not going to take time to go into it because we have a lot to get through, and I want to make sure we finish Daniel chapter number four uh, today. But just as a review, we said last week that Daniel chapter number four is all about Daniel exerting an influence of witness. Daniel understands his role in Babylon. He's going to resist the influence of Babylon, of society and culture upon him, and he understands that he is there to be an influence. And specifically, he's going to be an influence of witness in Babylon. We said that as we look at Daniel's life, uh, Daniel 1 through 4, that it mirrors very closely uh, the Apostle Paul's evangelistic strategy that we read about in Romans 15, 18, and 19. And just for sake of time, we said that Paul's strategy had three parts. Number one, it was his word. Number two, it was deed. And number three, it was signs and Wonders. Paul was going to take advantage of opportunities that he had to speak into lives, to uh, act, uh, to serve, to uh, be a help to people, uh, uh, literally, and then also in science and wonders. And so last week we looked at uh, this idea of serving people through deed, through deed. Uh, we said that Daniel took 30 years. It took 30 years for Daniel to be in Babylon before he was willing uh, to take advantage of the opportunities to be a witness with King Nebuchadnezzar. 30 years that he was there serving, 30 years that he was there uh, 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 with wisdom and respect, as we've looked at the last couple of weeks, uh, 30 years that he was there serving. We said this, that if you want to see someone saved, make sure that you see someone served. If you want to see someone saved, make sure that you see someone served. You won't have the chance to speak truth into someone's life until you speak love into someone else's life first. And love is an action. It's not just in our words. Uh, our works are just as important as our words in giving us opportunity to share the message of the gospel. And so we challenged ourselves last week. Uh, if we've got someone that we are, uh, we're burdened about, we don't know if they know Christ. We want to make sure that we have an opportunity or someone has an opportunity to share the gospel message with them. Uh, then the first thing that we can pray about is, Lord, give me an opportunity to serve this person. Lord, give me an opportunity to meet a need for this person so that I will have an opportunity to speak the truth of the gospel into their lives. And so uh, we looked at deed last week, and so we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to look at word. We're going to look at the idea of word. And, and when, I, when I think of, of our words being uh, important, obviously, as we seek to influence. We seek to have a witness with people. I'm reminded of First uh, Peter chapter number three. In fact, hold your place in Daniel four and go to First Peter chapter number three and look at verse number fifteen. First Peter three and verse number fifteen. And here we read that Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God, or set Him apart, make it important, make it a priority, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that uh, asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now the context of this verse, Peter is speaking about persecution and how to handle hard times and how to handle suffering. And so he's saying, your life 
the actions, your deeds, should give you opportunity to speak words into the life of another person, and you need to be ready to do that. You need to be ready. You need to, you need to be ready for that opportunity when God will give it to you to speak truth, to speak encouragement into the life of somebody. When I, when I think about this, my, my mind immediately goes to the word testimony. And testimony is a word that we, we use a lot in Christian circles. And, and many times we'll use it to mean our life in general, uh, how people will see us, how we interact with people, how we represent Christ. And certainly I think there is truth to that. But when you think about just the literal definition of what a testimony is, it's a legal term. It's the words that somebody who is a witness, and we'll come back to that in just a second, it is the words that a witness says to someone else uh, about what they have seen, heard, or testimony. Literally, the words that we say on behalf of Christ are so important in our life. Our deeds give us opportunity for that. Uh, And we see that throughout the life of Daniel and his friends. We see that when they lived... When their deeds were a certain way, they were given opportunity to speak into the lives of the people around them. They were were given that opportunity to have that influence of witness. Uh, When Daniel is called before Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter number 2, Nebuchadnezzar has the dream. Uh, he has the dream. He, you know, nobody can interpret it. And so Daniel says, hold on, let us have a chance to go. They pray to God. Uh, they uh, uh, get the interpretation of the dream from God. And they come back before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, he says, okay, can Daniel gives given an opportunity to speak into the life of Nebuchadnezzar and takes it. He says, no, but there is a God. He says, no, I can't interpret the dream, but there is a God who can interpret it for you. Uh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we looked at them a couple weeks ago, when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, again, uh, they're given an opportunity to speak, and they're ready for it. When, they're, when, they're, when they stand before King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, because they will not bow to the idol before they're thrown into the fiery furnace, uh, what do they say? Uh, we are not careful to answer the O King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Not careless, but they're not careful. They don't have to think about it. They're ready. Uh, They were given the opportunity to speak in the life of the king. Uh, They said, we'll not serve thee. Uh, Our God will deliver thee. But if not, we'll still not bow down to the idol. They were able to speak into the life of the king. And then we see it here again in Daniel chapter number 4. So go back there, Daniel chapter number 4. Again, you remember the story of Daniel 4. Daniel is again called before Nebuchadnezzar to interpret another dream. Uh, This dream is a negative one for Nebuchadnezzar. uh, And so Daniel is disturbed by it. Remember, he uh, waited an hour after receiving the interpretation. He's astonished. He's just, he's depressed. He's upset. He's, He's anxious about the interpretation of the dream. And so he waits an hour and then finally speaks to the king after the king kind of says, hey, Daniel, what's going on? You're going to tell me this? And so then Daniel gives them the whole negative interpretation of the dream that because of his pride, Nebuchadnezzar would be humbled. He would go insane. He'd become as an animal. And so then look at the opportunity that Daniel has in verse number 27. Daniel 4 and verse number 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, And break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Daniel's given an opportunity here. He's given an opportunity to have influence 
in the life of the king. And so he uses that opportunity to speak. He says, King, look, remember, Daniel's waited 30 years. This is the first time Daniel's going to correct. He's given care before he's given uh, correction. And so he says, King, I, I want you to know, uh, listen to me, listen to my words. This is probably a bad idea. You need to humble yourself before God so that this will not come to pass. Now, why is this so important? Okay? As we look at cultures, we think about the opportunities that we have to influence culture, society, the people around us. One of the reasons why I think that we are so hesitant to speak, or we, we have fear in our hearts to speak into the lives of others, the truth of the gospel is this. The ideology of society today, the mantra of society is, speak your truth, uh, you do you, good vibes only. Uh, that is the mindset for most people today, and the ability to express your thoughts or feelings, that, that is the highest good. Like that, That's the highest level of value in society and culture today. And anything that invalidates that, your ability to express yourself, anything that invalidates that, that attacks your inner thoughts or feeling, is thought to, at the very least, bring harm and be rude, and even to a degree be immoral, because you're attacking someone's inner thoughts, their inner feelings, their inner be being, their inner personality, and you're saying that they're wrong. Tolerance is the highest value in society that believes that. And the problem is a lot of us have bought into that idea. We have bought into the idea that we cannot speak truth into the life of someone else if it is the opposite or if it is in opposition to something that they already believe. Uh, we think that speaking into anyone's life about our faith when it might be contrary to what they believe or how they live is wrong, or at the least it's too much to ask. But here's the thing, we, we have to remember that it's our responsibility to be a witness. We are here, we are called to be that influence in society around us. And I think one of the things that we need to realize is that when it comes to the opportunities that we're given to speak into the life of someone, to speak the truth, to speak the gospel into the life of someone in a way of influence or witness, one of the reasons why we hold back, one of the reasons why we have fear is because we don't understand our role in the whole process. So uh, let me illustrate this, all right? Uh, Connor, would you mind standing up right there? Thank you. Connor's going to be God. This is probably not the first, I think this is, this is not the first time you've played God in an illustration. But anyway, uh, we feel like when we have an opportunity to speak into the life of someone about truth, we feel like that we have to get them in one conversation from wherever they are away from God and move them, that's the last time I'll do that, uh, and move them all the way over to a relationship with God. Because here's the thing. Um, we view salvation, we view salvation as only a moment in someone's life. And it is. The moment of salvation, the point of conversion, when somebody makes that decision to trust Christ, uh, that makes that decision uh, to, to believe Him for salvation, that is a moment. Today is the day of salvation. That is a moment when someone does that. But the process of someone getting to that point... That's a lot longer than just one conversation many times. See, where some people may be, let's just take this for, for example, okay? Some people, if that's where God is, some people may be 
10 steps away from God. Some people you talk to may be 10 steps away from God. Your job is not to get them from negative 10 all the way back to God. Your job is to be a witness. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Your job is to get them one step closer. And to be able to serve them in such a way that it brings them one step closer. To have a conversation with them. To say something encouraging. To let them know that you're praying for them. Uh, to, to just say how much you appreciate them or how much you appreciate what God is doing in your life. To get them two steps closer. Your job is to be a witness. Your job... Thank you, Connor. You can have a seat. Your, your job is to just bring them one step closer. It's when you're having a conversation with somebody at work and they're discouraged or, or they're upset about something that's going on and you say, hey, look, uh, I go to church and, and I just want to pray with you. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I pray about this for you? Not even right there, but can I pray about this for you? And, and something in their mind says, oh man, this, this person is a different Christian than other people that I've met and it brings them one step closer. Uh, it, it's, it's when somebody is at school and, and, and they're upset at the teacher or, or they, they're about to fail something and, and you have studied long and hard, as I know many of you do, uh, and, and you're, you, you have the answers. You can help them. Uh, not help them cheat, but uh, you can give them the help that they need and you say, hey, can, can, I, can I help you with this? Can, can, I, can we take five, ten minutes and just kind of go over this before class? And, and you know, I, I just want to be a blessing to you. And being able to just take them one step closer uh, to to when when you you know when when you have the opportunity to be in a relationship with somebody and those that are outside of the church and they they look at your relationship and they and they think that it's weird that you go to church and and that you want to wait and honor God in your relationship and wait till marriage and 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 be a blessing that way and they make fun of you or they question it and you say well hey look. Uh, I, we're a person of faith, and, and we want to honor God, and we want to blessing, be a blessing to our families, and we want to be, uh, 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 we want to obey God in this way. Uh, being having an opportunity to do that just moves someone one step closer to God. Because again, kind of alluded to this just a minute ago. One of the reasons why we don't do that, one of the reasons why we see this process of getting someone who is far away from God to God, and it is a process, we mistake our role in the courtroom. See, we think that we are supposed to be the lawyer for God. We think that we are supposed to make an airtight case about what God has done for them and how they have no other option and no other choice but to choose Jesus and do it right now. And that's absolutely true. Every single part of that is absolutely true. But can I say that your job and my job in the courtroom of life and in sharing influence with somebody else is not to be the lawyer, it's to be a witness. Acts 1.8, but ye shall be witnesses, witnesses unto me. In a courtroom, what is the witness's job? To just say what they saw, what they heard, and what they've experienced. Your job and my job as the witness for Christ uh, it, it's just to share our side of the story. What has Jesus done for you? What is Jesus doing for you now? Uh, how is he helping you? How is he blessing you? What is he teaching you? What have you been able uh, to gain from this relationship with Christ? And, and hopefully, ultimately, we get to that moment where we'll be able to share the gospel and decision to follow and trust Christ as their Savior. But your job right now, 
but the problem is because we think that our role and our job is to always just have that one conversation with people, we completely miss every other opportunity. We completely miss every other opportunity to speak into someone's life, to give them that opportunity to move closer to God. Uh, that's my goal, and that has been my goal as I've worked with college students. Uh, and I'm thankful that God has given me opportunity to speak into the life of college students and to have conversations with them about the gospel and see them make decisions uh, to trust Christ. But my goal uh, for them, that's the ultimate goal, but in every meeting, in every conversation, I understand that that... That might not happen. And so my goal is to always leave our relationship in such a way that they're closer to that point where they'll meet God than they were before. That's, that's what I want in every relationship, every meaningful relationship I have with this lost world. I want, because of our encounter, I want them to be closer to God than they were before. I certainly don't want them to be any farther away. I want them to be closer to God than they were before. Um, can I say that evangelism... While we each have an individual responsibility and role to play, evangelism is a team sport. Evangelism is a team sport. Um, the Bible clearly says that. In, uh, uh, I believe it's uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul says uh, there's Apollos and there's Paul and there's Peter. And every single one of us have a role to play because God gives the increase. Um, not everyone is supposed to close the sale, if you will, in every single situation. Now, now, when we have that opportunity, certainly we want to take it. But not everyone's supposed to do that. Uh, your job is to be willing to listen to the Spirit of God to do and say as He leads in every single opportunity. Uh, he's the one who, through the Word, cuts to the heart and brings the harvest. And so Daniel took advantage of it. His life, his deeds gave him opportunity to speak. He took advantage of the opportunity uh, of that like we should. But then the last one, and this is, this is where we'll, we'll close here. And, and I forgot to show that to you. I'm sorry. Our role in the courtroom is to be the witness, not the lawyer. And then the last part of Paul's strategy that we see in Daniel's life is the power of signs and wonders. The power of signs and wonders. Um, and this is, this, is, this is an important part of this, so we're going to take the rest of the time to talk about this. Power of signs and wonders through prayer. Uh, through prayer. Uh, look at Daniel chapter number 4. Look at verse number 1. Again, remember, we said this is Nebuchadnezzar the king. The most powerful man in the world at this time, one of the most ruthless, uh, brutal leaders to ever live, writing a chapter of the inspired word of God. Unbelievable. Uh, verse number one, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. Signs and wonders working in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Um, what God did to Nebuchadnezzar, and, and again, we don't, we don't have time for it, but I encourage you to read all of Daniel 4. Read all that Nebuchadnezzar goes through, all that God does to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, what God did to Nebuchadnezzar was enough to change his mind and his life. And throughout Scripture, we see that signs and wonders, answers to prayer, miracles, if you will, that happen in order to validate the truth 
of the gospel. They validate the truth of the gospel. Uh, when Jesus, you remember the story when Jesus heals the lame man, the guy that was lowered through the roof? When he hit the floor, the first thing that Jesus said to him was not rise up and walk. He said, your sins are forgiven. Because that was the most important need that that man had at the time. And then Jesus, of course, knew that the Pharisees and religious leaders were questioning, saying only God has power to forgive sins. So then in order to validate the fact that he could forgive sins, Jesus heals the man. He says, so that you know I have power to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk. A miracle. Signs and wonders were done to validate the truth and the power of God through the gospel. The resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest miracle to ever occur, and it is the greatest validation for the power of the gospel. It's the greatest validation of the power of gospel, that one who was dead would now be alive through the power of God, through his own power. Um, so signs and wonders. But how do, they, how do they play into what we're trying to accomplish here to have influence in people's life? We'll go to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. In Acts 4, the church is starting to see the first big wave of persecution that will take place in the, in the book of Acts, Church of Jerusalem. Um, Peter and John are, are arrested. Uh, they have to stand before the religious leaders. They're forbidden to preach in the name of Christ. Um, and so... We get to Acts chapter number 4. This is after they've been let go. It's very clear that things are probably going to go from bad to worse for the church. And so the church gathers together, and they do something very important. They pray. And that's important. We'll come back to that in just a second. But notice what they pray for. Look at Acts 4, and look at verse number 29. So they, they've been praying for a few verses now, praising God, thanking Him. Verse number 29 says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they, talking about themselves, may speak thy word. Asking for boldness to be an influence, to be a witness. Verse number 30. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy, holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. And so again, the church is facing their first great persecution, and so they gather together, and they're going to pray as a result of that. First thing, notice what they do not pray for. Seems like the most obvious thing that I'd be praying for if I were there. They do not pray for the persecution to end. You notice that? They don't pray. They don't pray for the persecution to end. They don't pray for a new religious leaders to take their place. They don't pray that they could escape Jerusalem and find a way to get out. They don't pray for any of that. They pray for boldness to speak the word, and they pray for signs and wonders to give them opportunity to do that. They pray for miracles. They pray for answered prayer. They're praying like Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 33, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. They pray in order to continue to have the influence of the gospel in the world around them. They understood that they were there. They had just received Acts 1-8. They knew that they were called to be witnesses. And so they said, God, we're here. Would you give us opportunity? 
Would you send signs and wonders, miracles and answer to prayers, healings, uh, do great things so that we'll have an opportunity to share the gospel? And so I got to thinking about this this week. As we are looking for opportunities to be an influence, that's what, that's what this whole series has been about thus far, to be an influence and not just endure this world around us. If we're looking for opportunities to be an influence, what should we be praying for? What should we be praying for? What should we be praying for? Um, I read this quote, and I love this quote. Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China, said, Learn to move man through God by prayer alone. Learn to move man through God by prayer alone. What should we be praying for? When it comes to having opportunity to be a witness, a witness of influence or an influential witness, what should we be praying for? What, this, this is something I've had to ask myself. What different prayers? Because I don't think any of us in here are not praying. What different prayers should we be praying? What bigger prayers should we be praying? What scarier prayers should we be praying? To have opportunity to be an influence. Um, I, I wonder sometimes, and, and this is just me thinking about my personal prayer life, my relationship with the Lord. And I think, God, what prayers am I supposed to be praying? What prayers am I supposed to be praying for my personal life? What prayers am I supposed to be praying for my marriage? What prayers am I supposed to be praying for our ministry and the opportunity to have influence? And I wonder, am I, am I too comfortable with the way life is right now to even think about what those prayers could be? Am I too comfortable to pray those prayers? Uh, am I too satisfied with what I am right now and what I have right now to pray those prayers? Am I okay with not having influence and not seeing God use me and not accomplishing God's purpose for me? Am I okay with that? Am I okay with just being where I am and doing what I do and going through the motions? Because if I'm not, what prayers should I be praying? What prayers should I be praying? And then, take it a step further, if I do pray those prayers, if God does give me those prayers to pray, those prayers for signs and wonders, just unbelievable answers to prayer, do I believe that he could do it? Do I believe that he will do it? Um, the biggest limitation of God's power is man's unbelief. The reason why we don't have the influence that we should, I believe is because we're not praying for it like we should. And the reason why we don't pray for it like we should is because we don't believe that God will do it. We don't believe that God will do it. Uh, Matthew 13, 58, one of the saddest verses in the Bible. He did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He didn't do, he didn't do signs and wonders in their lives or the lives of people around them because they didn't believe that he could. So what prayers should we be praying? As we finish out here today, I just want you to think about that. What prayers should you be praying right now? As we think about having influence with people, we think about influence in society around us, what prayers should we be praying? Not simple prayers of blessing or favor or help, but bold and, again, even scary prayers for marriage.
about stuff that nobody thinks is going to happen. Miracles for leading, for signs and wonders, for the chance to influence for Christ, the chance to share the gospel. Uh, let me ask you this. If, if all the prayers that you prayed last week, every single one, every prayer before you ate your McDonald's cheeseburger, uh, every prayer before you went to bed, every prayer when you got up in the morning, every prayer when you realized that there was a test due that day that you forgot about, um, every prayer. If every prayer that you prayed last week was answered, how different would the world be? How different would the world be? How different would others' lives be? How different would your life be? Do we, are we praying for signs and wonders? Uh, well, let me take this back to Daniel and then we'll close it out, okay? I have to believe that Daniel, for 30 years, since he got to Babylon until this moment when he had the opportunity to speak influence into the life of Nebuchadnezzar, I have to believe that Daniel was praying for Nebuchadnezzar. I just have to believe it. That's just my opinion. I don't think you find that in Scripture. I think we see evidence of it. We know that, that Daniel read that chapter in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29. We know that he read that. He quotes it. We know that it, uh, God's instruction to the children of Israel in Babylon was to pray for the peace of the city. It has to include the leader. Uh, we know that Daniel was faithful in prayer. We read about that in Daniel 6. That's why he got thrown into the den of lions. But I wonder, I have to believe that Daniel was, was praying for Nebuchadnezzar. And, and I mean, just think about that. Nebuchadnezzar is a Bible character, but let's, let's, let's break it down. That's, that's like praying for the salvation of someone like Adolf Hitler. It's like praying for the salvation of someone like Joseph Stalin or Osama bin Laden or the worst leader uh, the worst genocidal leader that history has ever seen. That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's how bad it was. You know? That's, okay, uh, maybe not quite on the same level, but that's like praying for the president to be saved. 30 years. Same guy. Thank God we don't have to wait 30 years. Um, but praying for Nebuchadnezzar for 30 years the most unlikeliest of people to put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But yet God sends signs and wonders. Now, I'm not saying it's going to take 30 years for God to answer prayer, uh, but are we even willing to pray those prayers? God, I wonder if Daniel chapter 4, everything that happens to Nebuchadnezzar is a result of Daniel's answered prayers. I just wonder. I wonder if when we read about when Daniel prays in Daniel 6 and he goes faithful, I wonder if he's praying for Darius at that moment, the king at that time. He's praying for signs and wonders. God just happened to throw him in a lion's den to be a part of that. Um, so what are we praying for? L listen, it boils down to this, okay? Do we want to have influence? Do we want to? Do we want to fulfill God's purpose for our life? Are we content to live our own little lives in our own little wor worlds with no thought or concern to what we've been commanded to do and where we've been called to do it. Do we want to have influence? Again, remember, okay, you're not just called. The Bible says you are salt. You are light. Your role in this world and society and the community and the people that you're around is to be an influence. Will you do it? What are you doing with it? 
And so, word, deed, signs and wonders through prayer all work together to give us that influence.